listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. And freedom is two weeks away. Is anybody excited about that? Man, it's going to be great. Uh, Justin Barclay is going to be here preaching from Wood Radio, our very own Justin Barclay. We are going to be raffling off bikes and Great Wolf Lodge trips, and the AR-15 is sitting in my office that we will be raffling off because we are the coolest church on earth. You're welcome. Uh, We have invitations out there. Grab gobs of them. Invite everybody that you know to this event. Now, over the past several weeks, you let me know that you're going to be here, and it means the world, honestly. But uh, when we do a big day like this, it helps to know who we can count on for extra help, and we still have a need for 23 people. When you came in today, there was a little card on your seat, and it says, yes, pastor, I will serve at Living in Freedom. If you can, we need 23 more people. If we just divide that up, it's like 12 people or maybe 11 and a baby for each service. And so uh, if you can serve, it would mean the world to us. It's going to be a big event and a day that we want to open our doors to the community. Can can you just let me know? Are y'all excited about that event? Yeah? It's been pretty cool. Today, we have a real treat. Uh, Pastor Gabe George is an evangelist. He's planted churches. So much of how we do kids' church, yes, at New Chapel, but all around the country, has been informed by this man of God. He's become a warm friend to my wife and I. Summer and Gabe are absolutely phenomenal, and they've really become family to us here at New Chapel Church. Would you stand up on your feet all over this room? Put your hands together for Pastor Gabe George. Come on up, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You may be seated. What a privilege it is to be here. My third time to Michigan. First time I saw the sun, this time, last night. I pulled into the state, we drove, and uh, it, it was just quite surprising. I was like, it truly is beautiful. It was, we came in May. I did it in December, and I learned. This, is, this isn't a gift. This is Joe's being a jerk and inviting me here in December. Uh, came in May, and there was hope, but the hope was dashed. It was quite chilly, a little dreary. And then we drove in uh, last night, and it was marvelous, marvelous. And, and, and then it was like 10 o'clock, and the sun was still up. That was bizarre, because in the winter, at noon, it was dark. And so that was strange. And so it is such a privilege to be here with you in your beautiful state on the last day of summer. Is it tomorrow, the beginning of autumn for you guys? Does it fall start tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, it was fun, wasn't it? It was sure fun. <laughs> Oh man, what a gift it is to be here. I love it here. I love it here. I travel, I speak. Um, and so it's part, of, it's part of the itinerant minister's shtick, which I really loathe. And so I, I, I try not to say things that I don't believe, uh, which you would hope, right? Especially leading into a message. Um, I love it here. This is my favorite place to travel to speak to. That is 100% true. This place feels like home. It's you. It's you. Uh, from the minute that I walked in here, and really when I met Joe uh, a long time ago, it seems, uh, it, was, uh, it was a friendship almost immediately. Almost. It took about 15 minutes to figure out, who is this fella? And then I was like, no, you know what? I really like him. And now I love him. 
I love him. They make fun of the way I talk because I say I love him. Im. Like it's that's not how you. And I'm like, listen, you don't get to tell people how to talk from up here. All right, we 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 do it right. Such a gift to be here. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Uh, I'm here with my family. My wife Summer is here. My daughter Jane. My son Charlie. Uh, I'm very proud of my kids. I'm very proud uh, uh, to be my wife's husband. Uh, been married 23 years uh, in May, and uh, she she. Uh, she just re-signed me, so that's exciting. It's an incentive-based contract, so it's none of it guaranteed, but I'm going to have to work for it, but it is exciting to, be, to know I have at least another year. Before I get started, I want to set your expectation. Uh, one of the things that I think is critical, and we don't do it enough, and we don't think about it enough, uh, we come into church we have, a, we have some sort of an expectation, I would imagine. A lot of the time, though, when we come and we're habitual attenders of church, um, it's our custom to come to church. And it isn't that we don't uh, have I- any sense that, that God may do something. I mean, we're excited to come. We enjoy it. That's one of the things I love about this church. It is such, a, such an enthusiastic community. Your enthusiasm, especially at the 9 a.m. service, is rare. It is rare across the country. That's one of the things that Summer and I noticed the first time we were here. Is like, this place is awesome. These people are excited to be here. And so you do have an expectation, but I want to raise it. I want to raise it. What we do as followers of, of Jesus is we meet Jesus in spaces and expect him to move, and that's called faith. Faith moves the hand of God. Not your situation not your desperation. I don't know what uh, circumstance you came in here with. We all have certain challenges. Some of them lay just beneath the surface. Some of them are above the surface, and they're just at the forefront of our thinking. It could be a health concern. It could be finances, relational, vocational. We come in, and we're coming in with different, different sets of circumstances and scenarios. And, and I want you to know that it is faith in who God has revealed himself to be. That's Hebrews 11, that, that we, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must believe that he is. That, that doesn't just mean that he exists. That's quite critical, but that he is who he has revealed himself to be. So who he's revealed himself to be in the scripture, and that moves the hand of God. And so before I pray, I want you to know that the gifts of God are at work in this message and through me. And that's not narcissistic. It's actually humility. Narcissism would be the discomfort I feel and, and, and kind of like elevating myself, and I do. I feel it sometimes. It's like, should I say that? Should I do that? The more focused I am on me, the less apt I am to stand in the place where God is moving through me because you don't want to be that guy, right? But humility is to say that God gives gifts. Jesus gives gifts. Ephesians 4 talks about this. Paul says that gifts have been given to men and women for the sake of ministry to equip you. So the gift of evangelism, as Pastor Joe said, it's a big deal. It's a gift that I've noticed, and I, 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 I speak to it uh, before I preach. Uh, at least I have for the last couple of months. I speak to it to set the expectation. Evangelism isn't just moving you from the category of disbelief into belief. That, that's certainly part of it, and not small. It's massive. But the evangelist, and we sang about it, go tell it on the mountain. Back in the day, they had no way of relaying news except by on foot. Human messenger had to go. And so when a war was fought and the war was won, a messenger would run back to hometown and say, we won the war. 
that man was called an evangelist. They would bring good news. The scripture says in Ephesians 4 that Jesus has given some to be prophets, pastors, teachers, apostles, and evangelists. The evangelist has a gift. It's a supernatural gift given by God to equip you for the sake of ministry, and the gift is to bring the good news into your space. And the good news of Jesus, the life of Christ, the death of Christ on the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus is more than just a salvation moment. It's also a redemptive moment in your life, and it's the light of God to every part of you. Every part of you. So I want to set your expectation that this gift is at work, and that gift works in a way where it produces a step for you. The Spirit of God, it says this in Isaiah 30, it says that the Spirit of God, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. So if you came into this space, and I will just say this, that not a one of us, me included, should stand in this space in the house of God and leave without an expectation that God would move us. God wants to move us, and he's going to move you by giving you a step. Now, some of you have a very defined idea of where you want to end up. It's like, I know I'm here. I really need to be there. But God's going to get you there in an unorthodox way, and some of that I'm going to talk about. And so the expectation today is that the Spirit of God's going to give us a step, all of us. What is a step, Lord? So we're going to pray. I'm going to pray. And while I pray, ask the Lord to open your eyes to the step that he has for you. That sets our expectation. We are meeting God with faith, and since faith moves the hand of God, it seems like it makes sense, right? So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Just pause on the first part. Heavenly Father, you are our Father. On this day where we celebrate what fathers are to be, we're grateful for the fathers that we have. We're grateful, Lord, for how you've led us. Some of us come into this space, Lord, in our relationship with our earthly father is not great. It wasn't good. Maybe we don't even know this person. We don't, we have not learned a lot from our earthly father, or we've learned what not to do. It doesn't matter whether we come from a good home or a dysfunctional home or somewhere in between. You are our heavenly father, and we acknowledge you. We set our eyes on you, and we expect you to lead us and guide us because you're our father, and that's what a good father does, and you are the good father. And so we thank you for opening our eyes, for helping us see the step that you have laid out for us, your spirit to our spirit. Lord, speak, speak, give us clarity so that we can move and follow you on this journey that you have laid out for us. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds and the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and all over all the wild creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. If you want to know why, why the earth, why did God make us? What is his intention? What's the point? Why are we still here? In Genesis 1, in the very beginning, God's first words to mankind outlines the mission of God on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply what? Multiply my image. You have been made in my image. Multiply my image. Now, this goes far beyond just our physical form. 
it, it goes to us reflecting the character of God. This is the purpose of God on the earth. God continues this with Noah after the ark, after Noah comes out after the flood. God says to Noah, be fruitful, increase on the earth. God says this to Abram, I will make you a great nation. Many people will come from you. What people? My people, the Lord says. You will be my people. You will multiply my image on the earth. This is the mission of God. Jesus brings clarity to this, or a different kind of clarity, moving from just being a people called Israel to also being the church. In Matthew 28, he says, baptize people, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is your work. I'm going to heaven. You're going to take this work. And now the family of God is going to multiply on the earth through the church. The purpose of God is to multiply his reflection. Our purpose is to multiply the reflection of God on the earth. How do we reflect God? How does that work? I want to talk about that on this Father's Day. I want to talk about multiplication of this reflection. Genesis 12:1. God said to Abraham, God said to Abram, hadn't changed his name yet, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. In order to multiply the reflection of God, to truly know God, we have to follow God where God says go. God calls us all out of places that are certain. He calls us out of our homeland, so to speak. And he says, you come with me. Why? Because in order to reflect God, we must be like God. In order to be like God, you've got to know God. In order to know God, you've got to know God's ways. And the only way that you learn God's ways is to walk with God, to walk with God. And God does this with Abram. The scripture is not written at this point. So God says to Abram, he says, come with me, come with me. Leave your home, leave your homeland, leave your father's house, leave your inheritance. You come with me. And the Lord says in a later scripture, I am your great reward. I am your shield. You come with me. I'm going to teach you who I am. And that journey that Abram went on was quite unorthodox. It went this way and that way. It wasn't predictable. It didn't line up. There's a later scripture where Abram, Abraham says to his servant, go find a bride for my son, Isaac, and he sends his servant back to the land of his father. It's the land that God called Abram out of in Genesis 12.1. There is a certainty or more of a certainty in Abraham's family and his father and his brother and his people. They are in the same land that Abram left. Abram went all different places. God took him all different kinds of places. And then Abraham says, go back. Why? Because they're still there. They're still there. If you are desperate for certainty, if you're looking for concrete under your feet and you're looking for an, an orthodox way, a normal way, a predictable way, following God is not the path for you. Wow. Why? Some, I'll just say this. Some of you are, have, a, have had a weird life, right? It's a weird life. Raise your hand if you've had a weird life. I feel like maybe everyone, like my life feels very strange. It feels strange until you get to a place with God and then you look back and you go, you know what? A lot of it makes sense. Yeah. There's a lot of what I've been through and what I've done that I don't know how I would get here any other way. And at the time, it was quite scary because God called me out onto water. But the only way I could get to the dry land was to walk on the sea. This is the way that God has led me. God leads us in unorthodox ways. Why? Because what is uncertain to us is certain to him. And the only way we can learn about him is to trust him. And the only way you can trust him is to say, yes, sir, when he says, come here. 
Where? Not going to tell you. If you're looking for deep levels of clarity, following God probably isn't for you because he's trying to develop your faith. Faith in what? His character, his ways. God has ways. The followers of God must walk in his ways. To reflect our heavenly father, we must walk in his ways. How do we walk in his ways? Proverbs 1.7, the first part of it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. All knowledge, godly knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of godly knowledge. Let me just say this, that godly knowledge isn't just perfect knowledge. It's perfect knowledge that can be properly applied with a complete perspective. God has a complete perspective. He sees the beginning from the end. And so God's ways work in such a way where it takes into account where you're going because it knows right now. And you have to submit to that. And the Bible calls that the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is complete submission. It isn't just belief. And it isn't even just just finding yourself in a space like this and worshiping God and lifting your hands and being like, I acknowledge that there is a God. There is a difference between belief and devotion. There are a lot of people that claim Christ these days that have a belief in God, but they don't have a devotion to God. And they certainly don't have a devotion to the ways of God. But there is a distinction between truly following Jesus, truly following in the ways of God, and just saying, you know what, I believe and will call myself a Christ follower, even though I don't technically follow in his ways. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord, complete submission to God, that is the beginning of what? Walking in God's ways. That is the beginning of reflecting God. The scripture goes on to say that a fool, a fool despises wisdom and instruction. A fool despises it. What does it mean despises? It it means that a fool says, I will find my source of wisdom. I will find these ways to get through life elsewhere. It isn't just that a fool is someone that's like, I just didn't do well in school. A fool says, I see you, God. I see your ways, but I discount those ways. They're insignificant to me. I will find another way. You see a lot of people doing this these days. You see a lot of people doing this this month. You see a lot of people who would claim to be Christ followers, and they're saying, God, I see your ways or I hear your ways, but I have gone another way. Where does man find his way? Because there's two different ways. There's God's way, and then there's man's way. And there are only two. There's no middle ground. There's just the two. So where does man find his way? Through his own personal experience, his own personal accumulation of knowledge, and his own personal relationships. Experience, accumulation of knowledge, and relationships. This is where man finds his way. This is how man navigates this world. God says, I have ways of navigating this world. Man says, I also have ways of navigating this world. Personal experience is something that lasts your whole life. You're always learning. You're always doing things and learning. I should do that. I shouldn't do that. Childhood is especially filled with these things. For me, it was like this. Anyway, my my parents or my dad specifically, uh, big into discipline. 
began to discipline us whenever we were uh, uh, disobedient. It, it, was, it was not something he shied away from. At times it seemed he really embraced it and enjoyed it even. <laughs> but my childhood was filled with, filled with going, okay, my dad says do this. I, 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 I don't do it. I veer off the path a little bit and I get brought back in, get back in line. It seemed, it, the worst thing about childhood too is that, is that you do it and, and you learn through pain, at least in my house, pain. So you learn through pain. <laughs> And, and, and then you feel pain, and then sometimes the same day, the same day you do a dumb thing again because your mind isn't quite comprehending, and, and it, is risk of, it isn't, it isn't a, a, a taking into account, if you do this, it's quite dangerous. And some things you learn, but some things you learn the hard way, and you learn the slow way, and you learn it again and again and again. Uh, in 1986, uh, my dad founded a camp called Dry Gulch USA. It was like an old west town in northeast Oklahoma, and it was a camp for kids, and it was quite an impressive place. Um, and, and that started, I was probably seven years old. Yeah, I was seven years old when the camp was founded. And uh, I was about 10. My father comes to me, my older brother, Whitney, my younger sister, Charity, and says, hey, would you guys like to come out to Dry Gulch with me? Uh, normally the answer would be absolutely yes, because this place is incredible. It's a, a summer camp. There are all kinds of activities, so much to do, except my dad made this request in December, early December. It was cold. All the activities were locked up for the most part. Uh, but he said, hey, I'm going out there. I'm going to be working. Your friend's dads are going to be out there working as well, and your friends are going to go out there. So if you guys want to come out, y'all can all kind of have your run of the camp. Even though there isn't a lot to do, you're welcome to come. We said yes. We went out there, an hour drive from Tulsa. We go out there, get out there. My dad gets out of the car, and he says, all right, I'm going to go work. You know what you're allowed to do. You know what you're not allowed to do. He didn't say it with a smile on his face either. He's just like, you know what you're, okay, you got it? We good? Yes, sir, we're good. All right, he goes off to work. We start running around the camp. There's not a lot to do because everything is shut down and it's cold. So about an hour of milling about with all of our friends, we get bored. People are standing around. They're looking around. What do we do? What are we going to do? I have a brilliant idea. Lisa seemed brilliant. I knew that my dad had the master key to the, the camp, all of it, in his truck. He foolishly left it on his key ring in the, the car. And so I went into the truck, and I grabbed the key, and I went to the shack that held the BB guns, and I unlock it, and I start handing out weapons. I'm just handing out weapons to everyone. Because it's America, and even at 10, I knew. I'm like, here, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're always going to do it, all right? So I'm handing out weapons. <laughs> We start shooting stuff. You put up the Coke can, you try to shoot, that's fun because it has a little noise, the metal hits the metal, that's fun for five minutes. Then you try to shoot any other thing that's metal, there's not much around there that's metal, that's not breakable, so we, we, we shoot for a little bit, that, that gets boring. Try to hit a bird, can't hit a bird, so we get bored doing that. Then we, we, we're gathered around, and so we thought, well, what do we do next? So we did the only natural thing, which is to turn the guns on each other. <laughs> Well, I'm 10. I've never been hit by a BB before. Never. And in the winter, it really hurts. So we're shooting at each other, and we're like, man, this hurts. What do we do? Well, we fan out, right? We fan out. Let's just spread out. So we spread out into the woods around the camp, not in the main street, not in the old west town part of it. We go out into the woods, and we're shooting at each other. I am behind a tree like this, and I am stalking a friend of mine. I hear him rustling in the leaves behind me. And I have my gun. My plan is to jump out and surprise attack. 
I jump out. Well, little did I know he was stalking me. So when I jump out to shoot, he shoots first and he hits me in the fingernail. And I have a no gloves. And I got to say, the pain of getting hit by a BB in the fingernail is horrible. In December, it is amplified. I am filled with pain, which produces great rage. And I have a weapon in my hand. So I, it's, a, it's bad. It's a bad pairing. I cock that thing, I aim, I shoot. I hit him in the leg. He feels pain. He goes down. He grabs it. It's pain, but he's wearing jeans. It's not enough. It's not fair. I'm still hurting. I'm still angry. Still got the gun. Cock, aim, boom. He's down here. I hit him in the shoulder. I stand him up. It was like an action movie. It was incredible. It was incredible. Kids in the room, don't do it. Also, it was incredible, right? He goes up like this. He stands up. And I'm still mad, and this is all happening in a moment. I cock and I aim carefully. Boom, fire. He grabs his face. He grabs his face, both hands. Boom. And he flies back on the ground. Part of me is delighted. Part of me is so afraid because I'm wondering, did I, one, kill him? I don't know. Two, is there an eyeball in the leaves somewhere? Because that's what they say is going to happen. You're going to shoot someone's eye out. Like, it's out. And I'm looking for an eye. I go over, and he's not moving. Hands over the face. I'm looking for an eye. I see no eye. And I'm like, Josh, are you all right? Josh, Josh, Josh. I shake him. He slides his hands down. And through all the tears, I notice a red dot a quarter inch from his left eye. <laughs> now, you would think that this is the moment where God's ways kicked in. And we joined hands in a circle, dropped our weapons, repented before God and man. Vowed to never do it again. You'd think that. You'd like to think that. This just made the war escalated. And and, and it moved out of the woods and onto the streets of the camp. The dads are working somewhere. I don't know. I ended up on the dining hall that overlooks the entirety of the main street. I was hiding up there and I was shooting at any human that walked down main street. Kid or adult alike. They just thought a bug from hell bit them. And I'm up there just tapping people. Oh my gosh. Again, don't do it. It's terrible. It's terrible. We did this till nightfall. We did this till nightfall. All of our adults were waiting for us in the dining hall for dinner. We met in the parking lot because we needed to get some things straight. <laughs> we're in the parking lot, and I'm like, all right. We can't talk about this. And I'm especially looking at the kids that don't have a fear of their parents. I have a fear of my parents. And I'm specifically looking at the young man that I shot in the face because he had no fear of his parents. And I'm looking at him like, hey, Josh, if you can see me, I don't know. We don't talk about this. We don't say anything. Do you got it? Do you, here's what happens. If you talk about this, my father kills me. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to resurrect. And I'm going to come back to life, and then I'm going to kill you. Do you get that? We don't talk about it. We made a pact, an agreement. There were like 20 of us kids. Like we were all, and that's how stupid. You can't expect everyone to keep their mouth shut. But that's what we did. We're not going to talk about it. We go into the dining hall. We eat dinner. We eat. Everything's good. My dad asked us, how was today? I was great, Dad. Tremendous day of fellowship. Nothing to report. <laughs> we eat. Uh, then we are making our way out. My dad grabs us. He's like, come on, we're going home. I'm five feet from the door. We're five feet. Five feet. This kid, Josh, walks up to my dad. He walks up to my dad, and at this point, his eye is swollen. He looks like Rocky. He walks up to my dad, and I will never forget to this day, he's standing there just staring at my dad.
with a dumb grin on his face. He doesn't say a word as not to break the pact. But he's just waiting for my dad to ask him a question, the question. And my dad eventually does. Josh, what happened to your eye? Josh, it's a tell-all. Josh says, we've been out shooting BB guns. Gabe got the BB guns out of the shack. We've been doing it all day. My father doesn't say a word. He looks at us. Is this true? And we are horrified. Yes, sir. My dad grabs us. He walks outside. He's looking for wood. He finds wood because it's the woods. We're in the middle of the woods. He finds wood and then he beats us. Within biblically sanctioned parameters, he beats us. In the middle of the beating, the board that he chose broke in half. I thought, this is, this, the Lord has heard our cry. <laughs> Surely he has, because the entirety of Northeast Oklahoma heard our cry. But my dad just picked up the broken piece, put it with the other one, doubled it up, and then finished beating us with what ended up being a telephone pole. He just beat us with a pole. This is childhood. This is your childhood. I could have all of you come up here and go, what's the worst thing that you ever did? What's the worst thing that happened? We all have stories of times we did really, really dumb things. And then we learn. We experience pain. We learn. We learn. We learn. Little by little, we learn. Adulthood is like this too. We do things. We experience things. We try things. We learn. You better pay that on time. You better call them back. You better show up. All these things we learn. Why? Because there are consequences. And this is how man finds his way through life. We have our own personal experiences. We have other people's experiences. We learn, we read, we are taught what other people know. We gather all that. We assimilate that information in the best way we know how. And we navigate our way through life. Now, there's nothing inherently corrupt with this. We should learn from our experience. God made us this way. But it becomes foolishness when our personal experience, our own understanding elevates itself above God's way. That is what we see happening this month. People are saying, but I have my own relationships. I have my own thoughts and feelings. I have my own experiences. What's got to change? Not me, God. God's got to adjust. God's going to have to reshape himself in my image versus me adjusting to his image. And you may say this, and probably not at this church, which is why I love this place, but you may say this is a bit harsh. It's not harsh, it's humility. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. I fear God. It isn't my call. I don't decide. He decides. God knows how to make his way or our way through his world. It's his world. It would make sense that we would do it his way. This is how we reflect God. So I have a question for you. Who are you reflecting? Who are you reflecting? Because we're either reflecting God or we're reflecting man. Are we reflecting our heavenly father or our fathers? Which father are you reflecting? Is it humankind or is it God? How do we know? How do we know? How can we tell? Matthew 7 is a parable that you're familiar with, I'm sure. Verse 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You're building your life on one of two things, rock or sand. The rock is the words of God. The ways of God are outlined in the words of God. If you do not regularly go to the words of God for your source of wisdom, then you are building your life on sand. And let me just say this. It doesn't mean that the entirety of your foundation is sand or the entirety of your foundation is rock. There are spaces and places in our lives that are rock. They're built on rock. But then there are other parts of our lives that are built on sand. And God teaches us and leads us in places where those parts that are built on sand are exposed. Why? So that our house will crash? No, so that we'll replace what is sand with rock. That's the point. How do you know if your house is built on rock or sand? Well, Jesus says that the storm reveals the foundation. The pressure, the pressures of life reveal the preparation. Where you feel the squeeze. And there are normal pressures in life. There's nothing wrong with pressure. Sometimes we're trying to get out of all pressure. Pressure is where an expectation hopefully produces a responsibility and we rise to it. And I say specifically on Father's Day to you men. Men are under a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure on us to be good men, to be good dads, to be good husbands. And God forbid Nicholas Sparks comes up with another stupid movie and then redefines all our romance for the next decade. It's like, I didn't realize I was failing so deeply until this horrible movie came out. And this guy over here, he's got the whole town involved in it. And I just bought a card and some flowers. Like, that's on me. Cut us some slack, all right? I don't know who this guy is. He's the Antichrist is who he is. He's not on our side. We're under pressure to raise good kids over the long haul. And we're under the pressure to do it where many of us didn't come from this ideal background where we were raised by a perfect father. So we're kind of learning as we go. So men feel pressure. i got to provide. And i got to provide in all the dreams of my spouse and the things that my kids want to do. And it's like I'm trying to make sure that they're set up for the future. And then my wife is talking about the things that she desires and all this. And I'm feeling like, i got to make this happen. i got to make this happen. i got to make this happen. There's pressure at work to, 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 to get it done. There's pressure to be fulfilled. There's all kinds of pressure that rises against men. And let me just say this. This accumulation of pressure will bring your house to the ground. If you're built on the wrong foundation. The rock is Jesus. It's his word. It's his ways. The sand is you. It's not disbelief. It's you. You're the sand. I've got to do all this. 
I've got to figure it out. I am under a lot of pressure. No one understands. And this is why I lash out. And this is why I'm short. And this is why sometimes I, I lose my cool. And this is why things don't always go great. Because you don't understand all the things I got to deal with. All the things that I got to do. You don't get it. The house is built on you. And you are not enough to hold the house up. This is why there is an epidemic of pornography in men. Because we're looking for a way to what? Relieve the pressure. Relieve pressure. I need a pressure valve so I can turn that thing on and I can release pressure. There's got to be a way to release pressure. So we go to counterfeit ways of relieving pressure. I go to alcohol. I go to entertainment. I go to food. I go to pornography. I go to other things. Why? I'm just trying to relieve the pressure because it's too much and they don't understand. And you feel guilty for it, but you also feel like some of this should be understood. I mean, look all the things I have to deal with. Let me just say this to you, man. You're not the father. You're the son. The son goes to the father. If you feel like you've got too much on you, it's because you're carrying too much. This is not condemnation. Oh, this is a great gift because I've done it both ways. In Ephesians 5, it talks about the home. It talks about the role of the man, the role of the woman. The husband is to be Christ, to be Christ to the wife, to be Christ to love her, to care for her, to wash her in the word, to release her into her role. The son carries the burden, but then takes the burden to the father. If you feel like every request from your family and all these expectations out there are just mounting in your life, it's because you're hoarding them instead of giving them to God. And it's because you don't know God well enough to have a relationship with God, to trust him with the things that you care about and the things that are crushing you. And a lot of the reason why we don't go to God is because we feel so much shame that we don't feel like God wants to do anything for us because we're just trying to measure up to God because that's what we've been trying to do our whole lives to live up to the expectation of our dad. Whether you had a bad dad, whether you had a good dad, you're trying to prove him wrong or you're trying to, to prove him right. You're trying to level up to meet his standard. We feel the pressure. And the only way the men of God are going to be free and fulfill the purpose of God is whenever we recognize him as a heavenly father. I said none of this in the first service. So you guys are actually going to be free. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in the other one. <laughs> There's a reason why this happens. It's the Spirit of God. It's life and light to every part of your life. This is your God. This is your Father saying to you, Son, Son, it's not all on you. I am your provider. I am your healer. I am your reward. I am your strength. I'm your guide. You don't know what to do? I'm right here, and all I want to do is tell you. But you got to be still and you got to do it my way. And that doesn't mean you got to be perfect. That just means come to me. Ask me. Bring me your care. Bring me your concern. Bring me your weight. You can't carry it, but he already did. It's not on you, man. It's not on you, Father. And I just say this to you. If you're in the room and you feel right now, you feel like light is being shown on you and everyone around you that knows you is seeing, you know, I've been carrying it wrong. You know what? This is the love of God. God brought you to this place. This place. All of us. He brought us to this place. Never to beat us over the head. We all need this Savior. All of us. I want to just say one last thing. There's a reason why, why 
our wives at times get overwhelmed, overworked, too much stress, too much burden. Women are unbelievable, unbelievably resilient. They rise to the occasion because they feel a deep sense of duty to take care of things. And man, it isn't just the things that you have dropped, obviously, but your wife feels, she feels the places where the fence is down, where people can just come in. And so she steps in to this role. She tries to step in to be the protector, but it's not her job. It's not her role. She's not meant to be the sole provider of your home. And I'm not condemning, hey, you got a job and you got a dream. I'm not condemning that. But there is a, an order where God has said, you fill your role, man, so that she can fill her role, so that they can fill their role, so that this thing can keep moving. This is how my image is multiplied on the earth. There's a reason why in Genesis, 1, or Genesis 3, when, when man fell, God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband as part of the curse. It's that your desire will be to fill his shoes. Why? Because he dropped the ball. And this thing, it's just a cycle and it wants to persist. And Joe said that this is a church filled with men. And that is something to embrace. But it isn't just these, I'm a man. It isn't just this masculine thing. It is a man who knows who his father is so that this can just flow through us. I close with this. Last thing I'm going to say. Man, hold your pressure, the pressure that comes against you, the pressures of life, not all bad, some of it normal. Some of it just meant to go, hey, it's time to get off your butt and do something with it. Not all bad. But instead of hoarding it all, hold it like water. Hold it like water. Water flows. You don't grip it. Just keep your hand open. You keep your hands open. You go home and you give God your weight. God, just tell him, talk to him, listen, read his word, listen, read his word, hear, obey, hear, obey. You don't got to know everything. You're not going to know everything, but you can begin. Hear, obey, hear, obey. You watch, God will show up. It won't won't make sense because maybe to you, the voice has always said, but it's on you. You got to do it. You got to get up. You got to do it. You're the provider. You got to do it. That's what your dad said. That's what you learned. That's what you felt. Maybe you grew up in extreme poverty and you took on the burden. I'm never going back there and it's on me. It's on me. It's on me, but it's too much. You just go to the Lord and you just say, Lord, here I am. You're my provider. You're my provider. You said that you would supply my need. What's my step? What's my step? He'll give you a step. But when you hear it, you obey. You obey. And you watch this freedom flows and peace flows. And you find yourself in places that you should be sinking, but you're walking on water. And you're like, how in the world am I doing this? And it's God. It's all God. This is my message to you on Father's Day. It's about you. It's about him. Our Heavenly Father. Do you know him as Father? Would you bow your heads, please? Dear Heavenly Father. I thank you so much, God. I thank you for your love. I So many things, Lord, that come out. It's you. It's just your love. You just work through us. Even in our deficit, you work through us, Lord. You speak to all of us in a way that we can hear. And it isn't just hear words. It's hear love, deep love. Our hearts resonate with your love. You're pulling us. You're pulling us. You're trying to move us, Lord. We're here. We're here. We open our hands. We respond. 
we respond. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We completely surrender to you. That begins with a step. It begins with an acknowledgement. If you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with God, you have not lived for Jesus. You may believe, but you, if you're honest, would say, I'm not devoted. I live life my way. It's not all in defiance of God, but to be honest, I don't go to God for much. If you're in the room and you don't have a relationship with God, maybe you had one at one point, you've fallen away from it, or you've never had one. And you're here this morning because you know this is my day. This is my day. Right now, as I make this plea, you feel your heart moving towards response. That's God Almighty. His Spirit is here pulling you, pulling you, giving you strength that you do not possess. I'm going to ask you to do something here in just a second that's simple but difficult. Here in a second, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand if that's you. It's difficult because there's a fear. There's a fear of what if I can't fulfill it? What if, what if the people around me, they see that I'm not who I've said I am? I'll just say this. There's no better place to respond to God than this room. No better place. You will not find a group of people more invested in your good than what you're in right now. This is not a condemning room. This is a community. This is a family. And so if you say, hey, that's me. That's not something we look at and look down our nose. It's, it's celebration. And we all need it. We all need to acknowledge parts and areas of our lives where we have fallen short. But if you say, mine's relational with Jesus. I don't have a relationship. I am not following God. On the count of three, you be brave. You be bold. You lift your hand. One, two, three. Any hands? Hands all over. Hands all over. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Thank you. I commend your obedience, and I just want to encourage you with this. If you lifted your hand, it was not all on you. That means that God himself is with you way more than you may feel, way more than you know. That should encourage you. The creator of all things was with you in this moment and prompting you, lift your hand. And he's not doing that to lead you into nothingness. He's doing that to say, I've got your steps. They're ordained, they're ordered. I saw the end from the beginning. I brought you here today because I love you, because I've got something much better. Yes, it's scary. Yes, you have to walk out into the unknown, but I'm with you, and you'll get through it, and you'll look back and go, it was never unknown. He always knew, and he was always with me. We're going to pray a prayer in New Chapel. We believe in this. This is who we are as a people. Whether you lifted your hand, whether you didn't, would you repeat this after me? Dear Heavenly Father, you are my Father. You made me. You put me here. You brought me here today. Thank you for loving me, for sending Jesus, your son, to live for me, to die on a cross for me, to pay the full price for my sin. You resurrected him, now resurrect me. Lord Jesus, you are my savior. You're also my king. From this day forward, we do it your way, not mine. I can't do it alone. Strengthen me. Put your spirit in me. Make me new from the inside out. Thank you. 
Almighty God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for your word. I thank you for truth. Truth, the anchor in stormy seas. I thank you for guiding us all, for leading us all, for loving us all. You have a step for each one of us. I pray, Lord, that that become crystal clear, that we walk out and we begin to know, we begin to see your hand on our lives as you reshape us in your image. Thank you for your faithfulness to your people, to your children. You're our Heavenly Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Can we do this? Can we celebrate? You're a celebrating church. Celebrate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you Thank and keep you. you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, love you guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.